first of all, I would like to uh, congratulate uh, St. Gregory's uh, American Coptic Orthodox Church on this uh, wondrous day, uh, your first Sunday here at the new location. And uh, I congratulate Father Moses and his, uh, and the, his blessed service uh, that uh, arranged that uh, really the, the first of the American Coptic churches has their permanent location. So this is a big blessing for, uh, for the diocese. And uh, I know that you have still a lot of work to do, but uh, may, may the Lord continue the good work which he began in this parish um, to bring all to the perfection of Christ. Um, and I wish you also to congratulate you on the, the blessed uh, fast of Our Lady, St. Mary, the Mother of God, um, and uh, the blessings of these holy days. When we want to meditate or reflect on something related to uh, the Mother of God, uh, often we have to look at not what she said, but what she didn't say. Not what she did, but what she didn't do. Because if we were to accumulate all of the, the words of Our Lady and her actions, they are few in the Gospels. Um, and so what we actually find more in the life of St. Mary is a kind of silent um, life, hidden, a hidden life, uh, a life that is, uh, as St. Paul says, hidden with Christ in God. Um, and, and this is what I want to reflect on this evening with you, is not silence as merely a virtue that we practice by itself, or even silence as the absence of, of, of speech or noise, but the silence which governs the way of life, the silence which governs the virtues, all the virtues that we, that we practice, that we find that silence is, is an encompassing virtue. So I want just to think about uh, this with you this evening a little bit. I don't want to take up much of your time. I know this was a very long day for, for many of you. Um, if we think about the work of Christ, we see that though we can certainly point to the Gospels and his public ministry, but even the life of Christ and the salvific acts of Christ are, uh, are, are kind of surrounded by a silence. The silence of his birth in the manger. The silence of his uh, first 30 years of, of, of human life hidden in Nazareth. Um, the silence even of uh, his prayer life, his own hidden life with the Father, of which is hidden uh, even sometimes from the sight of his closest apostles and disciples and followers. The silence of uh, the cross, the silence of the tomb, the resurrection takes place in silence. Even the ascension takes place in silence. Everything, all of the works of Christ are enraptured in a kind of silence. And so he shows us that even the great works, even the, the works that are to be proclaimed in all the ends of the world, still have silence at the core. And God's presence is not just a presence in which he manifests himself with power or with words or even with sensible, con consoling feelings. But oftentimes the very presence of God is a presence which is silent. 
like we read in the Song of Songs, I slept but my heart was awake. We can think of the image of Christ asleep in the, in the boat. The, the child, the baby, asleep in the manger. God is just as much present and active and sustaining the universe in that silence. Oftentimes in our spiritual life, we, uh, we want God to be loud. We want his, fe- his presence to be felt. But oftentimes, God manifests himself to us through silence. And the silence is beautiful. When God is with us in silence, it is not a sign of his absence. It's not a sign of his disfavor. It is simply one of the powerful ways that he manifests himself to us. And so he teaches us through this silence how we also are to relate to one another and to the gifts and talents that he's given us. So if we think about how silence kind of encompasses the life of virtue, we might look at some points to reflect together. The first one is a kind of silence of restraint. A restraint of even the good things that we have to offer to the world, our talents and our gifts. Again, there's nobody who is going to have more talent and more gifts than the incarnate God. And yet, out of the 33 years of his life, only three of them were spent in public life. 30 years were in a hidden life, a silent life. He restrained all of the things that he wanted to give to the world, to his words, his teaching, the, the healing of the sick, the raising of the dead. He held back, he restrained according to the the plan of God. And that shows us that though we have gifts and we have talents, but we need silence to govern those gifts and those talents. We need sometimes to restrain the use of those gifts, not to pour them out at all times. And so sometimes we have to pull back from action in order to spend more time in prayer, in silence, in contemplation, in meditation, so that we become actually more useful in our action. And we see this again in the life of Christ, even after in the Gospel of St. Mark, that even in his, after he comes out of the desert and he begins his first day of ministry and the people are coming to him and he's healing them, and then it says that very early before dawn, before the other disciples woke up, He left and he went to go pray in the mountain. It's as if, you know, we look and say, Lord, you waited 30 years. And now that you you begin your public ministry, you go for 40 days in the desert. And then you come out of the desert. And even after your first day of public ministry, you escape to go and pray and to spend time alone with the Father. And he teaches us this silence of restraining our efforts and our actions, even though they are good and, and, and the talents and the gifts that we have, in order, so, in order that through the silence, we might actually be more effective in using those talents and gifts. There's also a kind of silence in worship. It might seem that in worship, speech is superior to silence. We say many things to God in prayer. We praise and we worship Him with songs and with hymns and with words. And certainly we are, we are told that in the, in the, before the throne of God that the angels do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And yet still there's a kind of silence that 
encompasses worship. Not just an external silence that we have to silence the noise around us, but even the interior silence. It's kind of like when you go to the symphony, the crowd has to be silenced so that you can really hear the orchestra. And in the same way, sometimes the noise, whether it be external or interior noise, has to be silenced in order for us to hear the symphony. So we can think of a kind of interior, interior noise which consists of the imagination, our thoughts are constantly going from one place to another. We are already thinking about tomorrow, imagining events in our life, thinking about the past. This is a kind of uh, noise, an interior noise. And then we can think also about this, the, the noise of the heart. The heart is, is full of noise which might be characterized by agitation or fear or anxiety or anger or passion. And this is another kind of noise that, that interferes with the silent worship of the soul with God. As one of the fathers says, he says, you know, sometimes it's not easy to quiet the imagination because we try to sometimes force the thoughts into silence. And he says, it's like beating a dog when he barks. Sometimes it just makes him bark louder. So we need to redirect our thoughts. We need to place them into something more edifying and more God-centered. And the heart isn't silenced from its fear and its anxiety and its anger, except when it disassociates or disattaches itself, detaches itself from earthly things. One of the saints gave the example that a bird that is tethered by a very thin line is just as encumbered from flying as if it was tethered by a large rope. Both of them around the, the wing of the bird will prevent it from flying. Both will prevent it from soaring into the sky. It doesn't matter whether it's a thick rope or a thin line. In the same way that the attachments that we have to earthly things prevent the heart from being free, from, from being, being able to soar and be given completely and solely to God. There is, we can say, or, or, or we might reflect on a kind of silence of discretion, a kind of prudent love that we offer to one another. How many things our Lord Jesus Christ must have passed over in silence in dealing with the people when communicating to them about the kingdom and about his father and about the church. Yes, he said many things, but there are also times when we can imagine that our Lord restrained himself from saying something that perhaps could have been said. There are many times where he chose silence rather than, than speech in reproving those who had gone astray or those who were living in hypocrisy. Discretion was his guide, was his means of choosing whether to speak or not to speak. We can certainly imagine that there were many sorrows that Christ experienced of those who were far from him, those who had rejected him. We can imagine uh, the sorrow over the different kinds of mentalities that he couldn't reach, 
or that were unwilling to be reached by his love and his kindness and his and his healing his healing touch and the same as the case with us how many different people we have to deal with people who have different mentalities education morals temperaments and there are many things perhaps we want to say to them but there are times where we have to be silent As a matter of fact, that silence is a kind of martyrdom to restrain ourselves from speaking at times. To have wisdom to know whether our words will be of more effect or of more damage. Whether the silence will be more effective than our speech. They said about the Lord Jesus Christ that no man ever spoke like this man. But we might also add, according to the reflection of one spiritual father, no man ever knew how to keep silent like this man. So prudence, there's a kind of silence that goes with prudence, a silence that goes with charity, with weighing the value of every word that we use with one another. If we had that kind of silence when we had disagreements in the family, in our churches, in our workplaces, how much more effective we might be than simply not restraining ourselves uh, and relying on words alone. There is also a, a silence that our Lord, and, and, and we see of course in the experience of Our Lady, of a wounded heart. Some give the title to the Mother of God as the Lady of Sorrows. And certainly she was. We can actually say that if there was one person that our Lord should have kept from suffering and sorrow, just based on a human affection of one for his mother, he would have, he would have preserved that suffering from his mom, from his mother. If I had the choice to not have my, my own earthly mother go through any pain or suffering or sorrow, certainly that would be my choice. And yet, on the contrary, there is no one who suffered more than her. And we can reflect on so many ways in which she was not kept from a life of sorrow and suffering, just like her son. And so they both, Christ and his mother, show us the silence of pain, the silence of a wounded heart. Christ, after his resurrection, he didn't reproach his disciples for deserting him. As a matter of fact, he didn't even blame St. Peter for his thrice denial. Think about that. After being abandoned, after being betrayed, after being deserted by the closest people in your life, his words to them after the resurrection were, Peace be with you. Do not be afraid, it is I. How many of us, when we're wounded by our friends, by our loved ones, by people in the church, how many of us must manifest our wounded heart? We must let the other one know how they have hurt us, rather than restraining in silence and keeping that wound for ourselves as an offering to God. We have to also learn how to keep silent towards our neighbor's defects. 
Many of us, when we find something wrong with our spouse or with our children or with our co-workers that we find to be a defect in them, we don't restrain ourselves. So there's a kind of silence that goes with a wounded heart and a silence that goes with the false witness that Christ experienced as well. He remained silent before the, the trial that he underwent before his crucifixion, though he could have easily discredited them all. Christ would have been able, through the wisdom of his words, to put them to shame, to reveal the mockery of this false trial. But he remained silent. We likewise find ourselves in so many situations in which we don't have to always defend ourselves. We don't always have to prove that somebody misunderstood us. As the book of Ecclesiastes says, there's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Perhaps a general rule for us, and I say this a general rule because of course there's, there's no perfect rules for these things, of when to speak and when to keep silent would be that in general when it is for the honor of God or when it is for the good of our neighbor, we should speak. But when it comes to ourselves, oftentimes we should default to silence, an imitation of our Lord and His Passion. We see also the silence of uh, Christ and His grief. We can think simply of His experience on Gethsemane on Holy Thursday. Yes, it's true that in this occasion he complained to his disciples and said to them, you know, could you not keep watch with me? And there's also on the cross where our Lord cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we can learn from even how our Lord spoke and cried out in his grief kind of principle for us in our own spiritual life. That though, yes, it's true that we should, in the case of our own grief and pain and, uh, and the own wounds of our heart, we should prefer silence. But even our Lord teaches us that sometimes we have to unburden the heart. Sometimes it is okay for us to cry out with the pain that we have. And in doing so, not only does he show us that, time, that at times it is appropriate for us to cry out, but he also revealed to us through his words, when without these words we perhaps would not have known, the extent of his own grief, the extent of his own sorrow, and the pain that he bore because of his passion. And so, but he teaches us that there is a kind of uh, preciousness in God's eyes when we bear grief silently. Not a lamentation, but a quiet sorrow, a peaceful sorrow. And we offer this sorrow to God, as I said before, as an offering. Because when we, when we always want to defend ourselves and when we always want to speak out of, of, from the place of our own hurt, Oftentimes what we're doing is just satisfying our self-love. 
And there's nothing greater than fighting against, there's no greater way than to fight against your self-love than to bear false accusation and to bear the wounds from others, to bear the grief of life silently, trusting that God is the only one that you know that you need to share with you and to comfort you in those sorrows and in that grief. It's a kind of relinquishing of our self-love in a very powerful way, an imitation of Christ. So finally, we can see that the summit of love is silence. There is a powerful expression of love and silence that goes beyond words. St. Paul talks about the groaning of the Spirit. There is a kind of silence between lovers, husband and wife, that is more powerful than words. There is a silence that we experience, which is the silence of wonder before nature. We don't have words to speak, we just are in awe. And so, even in the, in the sacramental life of the Church, we see that the, the Eucharist is encompassed in silence. The Eucharist, God has condescended, not just to become man, but to become bread and wine. And He comes and dwells among us silently in the bread and the wine. It's really a beautiful thing to reflect on, the silence of the Eucharist, the silence of love, the silence of God's presence, the silence of restraint, the silence of, of the hidden life of Christ and His mother and, and St. Joseph and Nazareth. The, the whole experience of the mother of God is a life in which she teaches us by not teaching us, in which she shows us by not showing us in which she presents to us through what she does quietly and secretly and hiddenly. So we pray that we might, during this week, reflect on this aspect of the Mother of God's life and her, her message to us, a message in which she teaches us the depth of silence. And may our Lord conclude for us this blessed week of fasting and praises in honor of his mother, bringing us to her blessed uh, feast next week. And may it bring him and all the saints in heaven. All